Well, good morning. <laughs> yeah, we all know what it's like to experience those, and sometimes you can't help them, but we really are blessed with Ben Salzman leading our tech team and very appreciative of those who serve alongside him, but he really could use some more folks. So if you'd be willing to say, I want to participate, not just appreciate the reality of all the technology that happens, then let Ben know, and that would be a great benefit to us. You know, it was about five years ago that as elders, we believed that as stewards of the Lord, it was best not to invest some $17 million in building a big box for us all to get in together. And when I remember sharing that with you, you all applauded that we weren't going to spend that sort of money, but it does make us technology dependent to have a North Auditorium, a South Auditorium, and for that work together. And so as you have opportunity and appreciation, we would love if you would prayerfully consider how you might serve in that capacity or to serve as part of our worship team if God has given you musical abilities, not to be the point, but to be, did you catch it? Pointers. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great reminder that that's what they're, they're up here, not being the point, but pointing to our Savior. So if you could serve in that way, that'd be awesome. Would you take a copy of the scriptures out if you have one with you this morning? whether it's digital or hard copy, turn to Mark chapter 8 in the copy of the scriptures because I'd love for you to see it for yourself in the scriptures this morning. If not, it will be up here on the screen. But from Mark chapter 8 this morning, we're going to see Jesus introducing the church. And so I want you to think as you turn to Mark 8, maybe the biggest introduction that's ever happened in your life where you met somebody, you went, whoa, that was really special. That was really important. Can you, can you think of a time like that? All right, some of you can, and others are going, I've never met anybody important. <laughs> Actually, you have. In fact, I would suggest that some of our most important introductions happen. We just didn't know that they were important when they happened. The most important introduction in my life was in the cafeteria at Columbia to a girl named Jackie Outlaw. I just didn't know it was going to be that big of a deal until now looking back and go, I've never met, uh, had a more important introduction than when I met Jackie. Does that make sense? Some things we only capture the importance of in the rearview mirror. We don't know the importance of it when it's going down. I think that's what's going to happen in the text that we're going to look at this morning. The importance of what we're going to read is so much bigger in the rearview mirror than I think what the disciples knew when it happened in the moment. Here's the encounter. It's Mark chapter 8. Before we look at it, context, because every, every introduction has a context, First, and this was not very long before this introduction, uh, we're going to go back as far as the context that Jesus had multiplied seven loaves to feed 4,000 people, thus displaying that he had miraculous power, that he could do what no one else could do. The disciples had been a part of it, but you'll remember their role was simply to be delivery boys, to distribute and then to pick up the leftovers. After Jesus had fed 4,000 people with seven loaves, 
What's amazing is the Pharisees show up to argue, the text says, with Jesus, and they want a sign from heaven, as if feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves was not a sign. They demand a sign from heaven, and Jesus says to them in a word, what? Remember? Yes, no, no sign for you. So they, then the disciples and Jesus get in the boat, and this text says they go to the other side. On the way, the disciples go, oh, we only have a loaf of bread for all of us. And they begin to, oh, no. And Jesus is going, guys, don't you remember? Like 5,000 men and five loaves, and we had leftovers. And 4,000 people and seven loaves. And we had leftovers. Do you really think 13 of us and one loaf, what are we going to do? He says, do you have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear? Do you not yet understand? He admonishes them. Watch. He admonishes the disciples for not maturing enough yet to connect what he had done in the past to their current circumstances. It's been a great challenge to me personally to genuinely, in my current circumstance, believe all that God has revealed himself and done in the past in that moment. We sang this morning, I stopped and had to write it down. We sang these words, through every trial, and then we sang it again, through every storm, my soul will sing. Remember singing that? Do you know what it said you would sing? Jesus is here to God be the glory. Christ is enough for me. That's what you sang. In your current circumstance that's hard right now, in your current trial, your current storm, is your soul singing, Jesus is here. To God be the glory. Christ is enough for me. Sometimes what we know about God get separated from our current circumstances. I want to I call us. I'm calling me. Grow up. Grow up and believe that which he has done is sufficient for your, my current storm, my current trial. So he admonishes them. Then they get to the other side and a blind man is brought to Jesus, and we have that encounter where he spits in the eyes of a blind man, and the man can miraculously see clearly. They leave that situation, and Jesus takes a survey. And that's what brings us to our current, what's going to happen, the introduction of the church. He takes the survey, recorded for us, if you're open there, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. Jesus takes the survey, and here's the context. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, survey question number one, who do people, who do people say that I am? And they told him, because this is obviously what they had been hearing. People are saying John the Baptist, other people are saying Elijah, and then some others are saying one of the prophets. So when it comes to, at this moment in the life of Jesus, the word on the street regarding his identity is either he's John the Baptist, others are going, no, I think he's Elijah. Others are saying he's one of the prophets. Now, as you write those down, I wonder, is there a common thread that carries, that, that ties those three together? 
Well, let me, yeah, yeah. John the Baptist, dead or alive? Dead. Elijah at this time is dead. The prophets, Jeremiah is named in the Matthew account, uh, dead, right? So they all think Jesus is a dead guy. Obviously not still dead, but all of them representing those who were announcing or who were leading the way, what we often call forerunners. The word on the street is that Jesus is the forerunner to the Messiah. They're just not sure which one. Maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He's the forerunner. They don't think he's the Messiah. Question number two on the survey. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. See, that, that, that's not the word on the street. He doesn't pick one of the ones, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says, you're not the forerunner. You are the Messiah. You're the Christ of God. And Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. In other words, I'm not prepared for you to be proclaiming that yet. Now, have you ever wondered, how did Peter get it when everybody else on the street was going down a different path? How, how, did, how did Peter get it? Was he smarter than the rest? Well, maybe he was, right? He could have been. More experience? Did, did, he have, did he have private conversations with Jesus that aren't recorded, that, that he knew something the rest? How did Jesus, how did Peter know this? Well, we don't have to wonder. Take your Bible, turn from Mark to the parallel passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 is Matthew's, account of this encounter, of this survey, and it's very, very similar. It just gives us a little bit extra information. Matthew chapter 16, the encounter starts in verse 13, and it's very similar. Going to Caesarea Philippi, who do the people say son of man is? Same answer, John the Baptist, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, verse 15. Second question, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter said, you're the Christ. And he adds, Matthew, the son of the living God. And now we get the answer to our question. How did Peter know what other people didn't? And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Who in the world is Simon Barjona? That's Peter, okay? Peter gets multiple names in the New Testament, and sometimes you're like, oh, who is it? So Peter says to him, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus says back to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, you didn't figure this one out on your own there, buddy. You were not smart enough. How? How? But my Father who is in heaven did what? Did what? Yeah, my Father in heaven revealed it to you. Don't miss this. Can I have your eyes for a moment, please? See, what happens in this moment is a, an absolutely essential reminder 
that if any of us or any of our family or any of our neighbors or anybody on this planet gets the identity of Jesus right, it's not because they were smart. It's because God graciously revealed it to them. You see, uh, if there's any arrogance in the church as if somehow we've figured it out and the uh, people out there just, what's wrong with them? Why don't they get it? You need to, we need to repent of any arrogance like that and simply say, thank you, God, for your blessing, for doing for me what you did for Peter, and that is opening my eyes to see who you really are, that you are not just a great prophet. You are not just a powerful person. You are not just an excellent teacher. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You and I don't come to that conclusion unless God graciously opens our eyes. Because we're dead in our sins, but he makes us alive in Christ. So, Peter is not like, yep, got that one right. (laughs) If he was... Jesus just knocks the slats right out and goes, no, 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 no. That's the grace of God revealed to you. So the truth revealed to Peter. Revealed, so important. The truth revealed to Peter was the correct identity of Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of Israel. Now, as we'll see this unfold, he got the identity right. He still did not understand how it would happen. He thought Messiah meant conquering king. He had no idea that it meant suffering servant. We in the rearview mirror can look back and go, the Messiah came to be the sacrificial lamb, the suffering servant. He thinks how it's going to go down is conquering king. He's going to conquer Rome. But he gets the identity right because the father reveals it to him. And then the text continues in this encounter. I'm going to stay here in Matthew 16. I also say to you that you are Peter. Isn't that kind of funny statement? Because I'm sure Peter's like... I know who I am, and I'm not taking a survey. <laughs> who do people say that I am? Hey, I say you're the Christ. I say you're the Messiah. I say to you, you're Peter. Sweet, thanks. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Ah, first time in the New Testament, Ecclesia church is introduced. See, in this moment, I don't think the disciples know the magnitude of what's going down. The church is being introduced. They just didn't realize how essential this encounter is. I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Those are some sweet keys. 
And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So Jesus introduces the church in light of Peter's answer, you're the Christ. And in this introduction, he shares, explains what the rock is upon which the church is to be built. He explains how the church is going to be built. And he explains who gets the keys. So this is a big moment. In fact, so big that I'm sure they didn't recognize it. I'm certain they didn't know it in the moment. But all of church history is divided on the interpretation of this moment, of this encounter. Because when he introduces the rock upon which it is built, there are some dramatically different conclusions. When he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, Church history is divided on this rock. There's no way they could have known that in 2018, we would look back on church history and go, how you decide on this rock makes all the difference in the world. And so I'm going to simply, as simply and clearly as I can, explain what I think and what we at the chapel here believe Jesus was saying when he said, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Because what you conclude makes all the difference in the world. Some would say, I will say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon Peter, I will build my church. So some say, Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. What I find ironic about that is simply this. It seems, and I'll show you here in a moment, it seems to me that Jesus goes out of his way so that you don't reach this conclusion. Here's what I mean. He says, if you see it in the contrast of the Greek, you are, who do you say that I'm? You're the Christ. Ah, blessed are you, Simon Peter. God revealed that to you. You are Petros. You are small rock. He's, it's not Indian, but you know, you are dancing bear. That's kind of the, you are Peter, you are Petros, you are small rock. See, you go, it, he, Peter didn't ask his identity. Why is he saying to him, you are Petros in this moment? The question is, who am I? I'm the Messiah. You are Petros. And upon this Petra, different word, meaning large rock, I will do what? (laughs) I will build my church. You are small rock, and upon large rock, I will build my church. Do you see what I mean? It would seem that Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that there would not be the conclusion that the church was going to be built upon Peter. And yet... And you know, if you've been around the chapel, I am not prone to throw grenades at things. I'd much rather say, let's just build up with the scripture. But it makes a huge difference, and we'll unfold this. It makes a huge difference if you conclude that this is Peter. 
when it seems that Peter's the rock, when it seems that Jesus says, no, I'm going to build the church on a large rock, not a small rock, Peter. So some say, no, no, well, it's not just Peter. Yeah, it's small rock, large rock. It's the apostles. You are Peter, small rock, and upon this Petra, large rock, upon you, the apostles, together, you put a bunch of small rocks together, and what do you have? You have a large rock. You are Petra, small rock, and upon this large rock, I'm going to build my church. And there seems to be merit to this when you go to to Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. In other words, you are the church, right? You are the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the, the foundation upon which the church is built, it seems like, is the apostles, large rock, together. But he goes on, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. See, this can seem confusing because built on the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom? The whole building being fitted together. Who's the whom? Yeah, is it? He directly connects the in Christ Jesus, the whole building being fitted together. So how, how does that Jesus, the cornerstone, with seemingly the prophets being and the apostles being the foundation, how's that work together? Because is the cornerstone not the foundation part of it? Yes, yes. So let me unravel it for you. I think this will be very clear. In fact, I want you to see it because we're going to look at a number of things in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as Paul talks about the church and the building up of the church, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, find verse 11, he's a, he, he calls himself a builder. He says, according, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 3, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, what did I do? I I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. What? The foundation, which is laid who? By whom? Who's it laid by? Paul says, I laid a foundation. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Did you see the distinction? There is a layer of the foundation and there is the foundation. Are they different? Does this building have a foundation? Does South have a foundation? Is it different than the layers of that foundation? I hope so. Otherwise, this building is built on a bunch of construction workers. 
Seriously. Do you understand? There's a difference between laying a foundation and the foundation. So when it says the foundation of the apostles, it is the foundation of the apostles. It doesn't mean they are the foundation. It means they were the first proclaimers of the identity of Jesus Christ, who is the foundation. You follow that? There, there were, for this building to be built, what was the first thing that happened? Somebody had to come in and lay the foundation. And then other people had to come on and build walls and then fill in and run a They had to build on the foundation, but the layer of the foundation and the foundation are different. Paul makes it clear the foundation, which is laid, the foundation is Jesus Christ. The layers of the foundation of Jesus Christ were whom? Yeah, the apostles. See, the apostles aren't the foundation. They are the chosen foundation builders or the foundation layers. But clear, not the foundation. So, if you're visiting, if you're checking out the chapel, if this is where you regularly attend, if you're a member here, I hope this is not a surprise. We, without hesitation or reservation, wholeheartedly believe that the scripture declares there is a foundation to the church that has been laid by the apostles. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. You are Petros. And upon this rock, large rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus, his, and I want you to understand and I'll explain him. Jesus, his person and his work are the foundation. Do you remember? Do you remember what started this conversation? Who do people say that I am? So you may have heard people go, well, I thought the rock which it was going to be built was Peter's confession that you are the Christ. Yes, that's part of it. It is the confession of the identity, the person and work that he did not yet understand. Yes, Messiah didn't understand how it would happen. The foundation of the church is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The apostles laid the foundation. They were the first ones to proclaim it, upon which then, now, all these years later, we in our present day are still building on the foundation that the apostles laid, but the foundation is Jesus the rock. Is that clear? Does it make a difference? <laughs> yeah, it makes all the difference. And 
we could name lots of ways it makes a difference. I want to name two very, very specifically. The significance of Jesus as the rock is that first, he alone is to be worshiped and exalted in the church. He alone is to be worshiped. You see, do you think the apostles ever had to face the reality that some people wanted to exalt them? Why? Because, man, when you, you're, even as you laid the foundation, it's easy. Even as we talked about it, I watched some of you go, oh man, I never really thought there is a huge difference in reality between laying it and being it. But the church is always prone to lift up builders. To exalt the people that God uses. So here's why I wanted you to look at 1 Corinthians. Because the opening four chapters in 1 Corinthians are all dealing with this problem of what happens in the church when builders get lifted up as if they are the foundation. Go back one, maybe one page or two, depending on how your Bible is, to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians 1 and look at verse 10. Or excuse me, verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you. This is written by the Apostle Paul. I've been informed concerning you, my brother, and by Chloe's people. It's like he has some inside information and he identifies his source. That there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus. I'm of Cephas. You see what's happening? According to the text, it's like we're all gathered, and who are you of? First, who are you? Okay, no, no, who in the text? Who are you? I'm of Paul. Who are you? Yeah, so yeah, no, I'm of Apollos. Nobody quarrels when you say it like that. I'm of? No, 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 the text. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Who are you? Cephas. Cephas. Who in the world? Cephas. <laughs> Another name. It's Peter. Simon Barjona, Peter, Cephas. Man, wow. I, I'm of Paul. No, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. What are they doing? Yeah, they're divided because they are elevating and exalting the builder. And so Paul goes, has Christ been divided? Yes or no? No, you are. Christ is not. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Yes or no? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Then why? If it was not Paul who was crucified for you, it's not Paul in whose name you were baptized. Why are you lifting me up? Why are some of you lifting up Apollos? Why are some of you lifting up Peter? 
he goes on because his whole agenda here, see, you got to see this. The whole agenda of Paul is making sure that foundation builders are not exalted over the foundation. He says in chapter three, verse five, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? And the answer, servants, we're just servants. We're not the stuff, we're just the delivery boys. We're the servants through whom you believed. But it was the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but who was causing the growth? God was the one doing the work. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But God who causes the growth is, well, what's he inferring? Is everything. Are you capturing what he's saying? You see, from the beginning of the church, there was a temptation to take the people whom God used in very unique and powerful ways and lift them up and make them more important than Jesus. And Paul says, stop it. Don't do that. What am I? Just a servant. Just a builder. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are, notice the emphasis, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, not our field. You're God's field. You're not our building. You are God's building. You understand? Do you, do you capture what, what he is fighting vehemently against? That Jesus alone is to be worshiped and exalted in the church. I can't emphasize it enough that, that the apostles did not see themselves as the foundation. They saw themselves as the builders of the foundation. And when there was any tendency to lift them up, they rebuked it. They did not want Christ to be overshadowed by servants. So have you ever been to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome? Really, by the uh, kindness of this congregation, Jackie and I got to go because of, you gave us a gift after serving here for 25 years. And we went to that part of the world where Jesus and the gospel had first been, we wanted to see with our eyes. Because we had been to Israel, but we had not been to like Ephesus and Corinth and Miletus and places where Paul had gone. So we went to Rome and went into what would be considered the greatest church in the world and saw the saddest thing I've ever seen. Do my best to show you a picture of it. Uh, if you would, put it up on these screens here. This is, I can give the close-up. This is the statue of Peter in St. Peter's Basilica. Can you see the difference between his right foot extended out and his left foot? That's 
and I'm not being stupid here, it, it, it wasn't made that way. You know what happened to the definition of his toes and his foot? It has been rubbed and kissed away over the years. And I stood there and watched people wait in line to come up and to rub and kiss the foot of a statue of Peter. Now you tell me, does that square with what we read in the Scriptures? Folks, you think Peter would want a statue of himself in a church that then would be kissed and adored to the point that stone was made smooth? You see, it, it makes a difference. When, when an individual gets elevated to a role reserved for the Savior, for the Messiah, he alone is to be worshipped. Never another man. And so, I want us to, to be clear. Nobody is equal, even close to equal to Jesus at Christian Family Chapel. We're just builders. It's just, we're just builders. Way, 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 way down the line. We're like adding base molding. And there needs to never be any. And one of the things I'm super grateful, when I was a school teacher in this town and started coming to this church, I loved this church because it did small things that really communicated that Jesus was the point. Back then, pastors used to sit in their chairs up on the stage. We came to the chapel, and the pastor didn't sit on his throne up on the stage. He just sat down there with the rest. I was like, I like that. That's good. The pastor never has hopefully never will, get a parking space. <laughs> Seriously. It, it, it's silly. That, that's not a big deal, except it communicates. If you address me, Doug. Not really. Pastor Doug, I don't know who that is. Doug. We had a bookkeeper here a long time. He insisted in calling me Pastor Doug, and I said, I will call you Bookkeeper Steve until you stop it. <laughs> and, and he got over it, finally. He was like, okay, I got it. Now, again, I am not here 
to destroy something, but to build up a church that sees Jesus as the foundation and therefore Jesus and only Jesus as the one to be worshiped. And, and because of that, his word alone is infallible. His word. No other individual has infallibility. No other individual gets to speak from God without error. I do my very best to teach the truth. But I am not infallible. And part of the problem, no problem, part of the reality is when you lift up a man, then his words get lifted up. And then his words get to take on more significance, more power than other people's words. And if there's two things that we are committed to at Christian Family Chapel, it's that Jesus alone gets lifted up and his word alone gets lifted up. See, I'm, I'm committed to that we would be teachers of the word. One of the greatest things that encourages my heart is when people attend the chapel and they go, man, I love the focus on the word. Because the word lifts up who? Jesus. We should give our greatest attention. This book over every other book. This word over every other word. This speaks like nothing else speaks. On the radio, on your favorite blog, this speaks, this triumphs over all. The word. Because Jesus is the foundation. We were seeking to build. He alone. See, Paul, Paul doesn't miss this. He says, let me show this to you quickly. Again, dismantling the elevating in 1 Corinthians, first four chapters. He says, I'm conscious of nothing against myself. In other words, there's nothing in me that, that I know that is displeasing to the Lord. Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. In other words, he doesn't say, hey, I'm an apostle, and therefore, if I think I'm good, I'm good. I still, even as apostle, I am a servant, and I am accountable to this examination. Nobody gets to live right here equal to the scriptures. All from the apostles on live here under the authority of of the scriptures. This, this, folks, is more than a silly little sticker that we've put on our cars. This is core to who we are. This is core that we would say we believe that Jesus alone is the foundation upon which we stand and his word alone is the authority under which we live. That's the elevation of Jesus. It is the core conviction of the church. Jesus had just said in Mark, 
neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, and you do many things such as that. You see, what, what's happening in our present day is equal to that which was happening in Jesus' day. Judaism in Jesus' day had neglected the commandment of God and the traditions of men that were now ruling. What, what rabbis said took greater precedent over the commandment of God. And that's where part of the church is today, where other statements of men have come and taken precedent and traditions have taken over the commandment. Very similar. And so I'm calling us back to the church, Jesus as the foundation, Jesus as the only infallible authority. 50 years from now, when people talk about Christian Family Chapel, part of what they'll say is this, Doug who? Seriously. Because I know, because lots of you go, Barry who? And he was the guy that the Lord used to start this place. But a lot of you go, Barry who? 50 years from now, Doug who? And you know what? That doesn't hurt my feelings. That's good. That's in line with what the scripture says. Oh, 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. Withering? We are. The grass withers and the flower falls off. How sad when that beautiful flower falls off. That's what's coming for all of us. Seriously. Be a bunch of who's in this room. Who? The flower falls off, but the word of the Lord 50 years from now, by God's grace, there'll be other names, other flowers, other grass. But the word of the Lord will endure uh, forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. May that be true at Christian Family Chapel for as long as the Lord, by his grace, allows us. Till he comes, that we would say, this is the word preached to you. That the word of the Lord endures forever. This is our authority. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you to make a declaration. Let me share it with you, and then you decide whether you will publicly declare it. Here it is. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I believe you are the rock upon which I stand, and your word is the authority under which I live. Let me invite you to repeat it after me, if you so choose. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you are the Savior of the world. Jesus, I believe you are the rock upon which I stand. 
And Jesus, I believe your word is the authority under which I live. Let's declare it in song. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand On Christ the solid rock I stand This is the church of Jesus. He's our leader. He's our authority. He alone is to be worshiped. And he promises, I will build my church. That's what we're going to talk about next week. God bless.